Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Rabbi Michael Siegel of Anshe Amit Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Igg about this week's Torah portion of Bo. Don't let the facts get in the way of the meaning of the Exodus story. If I connected a lie detector mechanism to you and I asked you the following question, how do you think the person reading your response would read it, true or false? Did the Exodus from Egypt actually happen? <laughs> Uh, suddenly my pulse rate starts to get <laughs> racing. Uh, my eyes are shifting side to side and all the classic side signs of anxiety settle in. I couldn't answer that question honestly with confidence that, that yes, it happened. Um, and yet these stories are baked into me, right? I know them so well. I've been hearing them and telling them for, you know, all my life. So how can you tell me this didn't happen? Right. You're not going to do that, are you? No, I'm not going to do that because I think that you are part of a very large group of people who would give the exact same response. I'm not sure that if we went back, I don't know, before the scientific age, a few hundred years, and asked someone that question, that they would give you the same response. Would people say, oh, well, you know, we don't have any archaeological evidence. We don't have a decree from Pharaoh. We don't have Moses' sandals anywhere. So there's no scientific evidence that therefore it couldn't have happened. What happens to belief in a scientific age is an interesting question. It's very interesting because faith requires us to take leaps of faith. Faith requires us to believe in things that may not seem logical to us and um, that we choose to believe because we believe that there are things bigger than us and that there's a reason to, to believe even when logic might tell us otherwise. And, and if you abandon that, if you go strictly for um, the things that you can see and prove, what is lost in that? That's right. And if you reduce the story of the Exodus as to who the Pharaoh actually was and what year this took place and how it took place and what were these plagues actually? Were they natural phenomena that people just saw as God's hand in history? Or was it all coincidence? Or is that what faith really is, is to see God's hand and what other people will see as coincidence? All that stuff is very much a part of the universe in which we live. We want someone to show us exactly how it happened. But as a result of that and those questions, we're chipping away at our relationship with the story and what the story is actually about. It's not about what happened in a particular moment, but the question is whether or not God cares about human beings, especially those who are other, those who are enslaved, the people who society forgets is the, are the people that God seems to be most interested in. And that notion of hope that the day will come when God will break our chains and we will go forth from that land, that's the remarkable part of the story. That's what Passover is actually about. It's breaking with what was so that you can embrace what can be. And if we're going to focus only on whether or not it really happened, we're losing something and we are the lesser for it. Yeah, you know, um, it reminds me of the Talking Heads song, the lines that go, facts are simple, facts are straight, facts are lazy and facts are late. Facts all comes with point of, points of view. Facts don't do what I want them to do. It's more important what we want the facts to do than what the facts actually are, right? We We need these stories more than we need the facts. 
Thank you, Talking Heads. We need the story more than we need the facts. Think of how the Exodus story has affected people throughout history, not least of which are people of color, right? You know, the fact that you and I and so many others sing the black spiritual go down Moses, right? Tell old Pharaoh to let my people go. That's a song that speaks to the universal significance of the exodus from Egypt. Right. I've been researching Martin Luther King's life a great deal. And one of the really interesting things that I've learned is that he grew up in the church. Of course, his father, his grandfather were, were Baptist preachers in Georgia. And he was always a little bit put off. You know, he was younger and he was bright and he was put off a little bit by the emotionalism of the church. And when he went to seminary, he became fascinated with this idea that the Bible wasn't wasn't literal, that these facts were wrong, that as we're saying, Moses and Pharaoh and all of these stories, they're just stories. And he became really engaged with these professors who were teaching that you didn't have to believe all these things that you learned in the Bible. Um, but then, even while he's in seminary, he would travel on the weekends to Sundays to these small churches in the area. He was He was going to school in Pennsylvania. And he would preach to these black congregations with exactly the same messages that his father and his grandfather had. He would abandon everything he'd learned in school, and he would give the people what they needed in these stories. So he was able to embrace the duality, the complexity. He was able to see the value in the story, even as he was fascinated to learn that the stories didn't always add up. As if to say, what's the meaning in the moment? There's no real meaning in whether or not the exodus happened. So does that mean that people will suddenly believe the Bible? If I find an autographed stone picture of Moses, is that going to turn the world into believers? I hardly think so. What I do think, though, is that what the Bible is about isn't about scientific proofs, but proofs of meaning, that life has meaning, that historical moments have meaning. And it's not simply God who gives meaning to the moment, but people who rise up and give meaning to what could just as easily be the way things have already been and just continuing on. But people like Martin Luther King Jr. was able to give meaning to a moment that motivated people to do things that they would not have thought they could do, like going into a whites-only diner or luncheonette, or a Woolworths, and sitting down as a person of color and ordering food, or trying to change the voting dynamic, right? You know, you look at someone like John Lewis, what gave them the courage and strength to see a larger meaning in the moment? I think the overlay is the story of the Exodus. Right, and think about this too. The religion of Christianity uh, was given to the slaves um, when they arrived here, and it was meant to control them, right? The white slave owners demanded that their slaves attend church on Sundays. That was, uh, that was not their religion. It was forced upon them, and yet they found in these stories a hope, because if these stories that they were hearing were true, if there really was a God who took the slaves out of Egypt, then that God surely would not allow slavery to persist. That God surely would not allow one people to believe that they're superior to another people. That God would not allow them to suffer much longer, and there would be salvation for them. There would be a, a day where they, too, were freed from slavery. So it wasn't their religion. It wasn't their story, but they found something in it, and that something saved them. Because 
that when no one cared about their plight, God continued to care. And I think that's the meaning, that their redemption is possible, so that the people that marched, and I'm talking about the white people who got involved, the white people that marched, right, were also moved by the same story more often than not. I'm thinking about all of the rabbis that war, that marched with kings, the reform rabbis, conservative rabbis, who, who were there in numbers, so much so that people of color began to wear kippot because they saw that as a symbol of freedom, the people of solidarity. And that's a very powerful symbol. And why were Jews there? Because they were reliving their own story. We have to be involved in the redemption of others. And all of that is emanating, I think, from this story of Moses, who was the kind of the least likely leader who leads a people who are probably the least deserving of people <laughs> and the most difficult. And they all go forward in this grand plan. So much of it has to do with God and how God gets involved. I just want to point something out, and it's just a, it's an odd thing. But in the story, in this week's portion, the Israelites have to take a lamb or a goat and they have to keep it in their homes for a few days. And then they have to slaughter it and use the blood and put it on their doorposts. Christians, by the way, have a much different understanding of the Lamb of God and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and how they connect it. But for Jews, it just seems like an anomaly that God said, take this animal and sacrifice it. But if you know anything about Egyptian culture, then you would know that a lamb was a sacred animal for Egyptians. And so for an Israelite to have to take that animal, sacrifice it, first of all, sit with it for a few days, and then sacrifice it and eat it uh, for this Passover meal, but use its blood on the doorpost, that is saying something to the Egyptians around them, that we are breaking with the past, and we are going forward. We're not accepting your understanding of reality as our understanding of reality. I'm going back to those efforts to order in a restaurant. That's the same idea of taking the lamb and putting it on the door, the blood on the doorpost. It's saying, I'm breaking with the past. There is a new future out there, and I'm embracing it. And I'm not going to live by your rules anymore. Right. And that's, um, you know, it's important to note that, that King and the civil rights marchers did the same thing. They invoked the spirit of their religion. They, the religion that was also being celebrated by white people and saying that we have the same religion here. And that religion teaches us to love one another. And we are going to love our enemies even as they refuse to love us until they learn that our love is universal. And that's the story that they were inspired from the Bible, that they were inspired to use in their fight for their own freedom. I think that's a wonderful place to stop. The story in the end is so much more powerful than reality, so much more powerful than whether or not it actually happened. But rather, it does happen. It happens again and again. And I believe that it happens because not only that there's a God willing to take us out, but that there are people who are willing and have the courage to lead us forward. Thanks, Jonathan. 